Well, it is crunch time, right? You know, it's, uh, it is Sunday, and by this time, next Sunday, we will have celebrated the birth of Christ. And, you know, maybe you are here this morning, and your week just seems like chaos. Right? You, you're still trying to do your last-minute shopping, and uh, you're having to go to the dreaded Walmart um, you, uh, you're, you're trying to figure out your plans, uh, for the holidays still, uh, how many people are we going to have over, uh, where am I going to go, uh, you know, we've got all these different places that we're supposed to be all at the same time, how are we going to map this out and plan to, to be at each of these places, uh, you know, I was telling Kay yesterday, I'm still trying to figure out when I'm going to go see Spider-Man a few more times. I was joking, but she didn't look like she thought it was very funny when I said that, because uh, we're trying to plan out with her family coming in where we're going to go and how we're going to do all this. You know, maybe it's school stuff that you got going on, you know, end of the year recitals and plays and programs and all of the things that are happening. Uh, students, you got tests, you know. Uh, I don't know, if Nate, if you finished all your tests up. Yeah, it's fun time. Uh, it's just chaos. And sometimes in the midst of chaos, it's easy to forget why we're celebrating in the first place. And we get lost and, and we forget to take a deep breath and just focus on what this season means to all of us and why it's so important. And... So that's why we've been spending some time looking at the different characters in the Christmas story, because these characters of Christmas that we've been looking at, their lives have been changed in drastic ways. You know, Zachariah and Elizabeth, their life was changed in drastic ways. You know, the, the story of good news that brought great joy, it brought to them great hope. It brought to them great hope, hope that maybe they could have this reverse of fortune and they can finally have this child and this child would you know, wipe away that, that curse from the eyes of the people that surely they were doing something wrong if they couldn't have a kid. Kids are blessings from God and if they don't have that, then they're cursed. But more so than just hope in that regards, it gave them hope that the Messiah would come. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting through all these years of silence for God to show up, and now they have hope. And then we talked about Mary and Joseph and how the good news of the story of Mary and Joseph, it brought to them great obedience. It brings us great obedience because to them, you know, they did what God asked them to do, and for Mary especially, her life was flipped upside down. This could result in a lot of horrible things for Mary. She could have, and she, or she should have, and probably, or could have and should have probably lost her husband. He was a noble man, decided to divorce her quietly when an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, don't do what you're planning on doing. She should have lost her husband, and she very well could have lost her life. And yet, in the midst of that, she was obedient. And that story reminds us that we should be obedient to what God has called us to do and to be. He calls us all to be the same thing. He calls us to be people who love our neighbors, to love those around us, to love the broken, to love the poor, to love the widows, to be His hands and feet everywhere we go. 
Some of us do it in different ways, but we all have the same calling to be obedient to. And so this morning, we continue looking at these characters of the Christmas story, and this whole series revolves around Luke chapter 2, verse 10, which tells us, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And so all the people this morning includes the shepherds includes the shepherds. And I will be honest, this is one of my favorite stories in the Christmas story because the story of the shepherds is not just filled with just beautiful uh, symbolism, but it's also a story that when we look at the shepherds, we can see ourselves in their lives. We can see ourselves in their story. And this morning, their story reminds us who this good news and great joy is for. And so we are going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Or if you want to follow along on you version, you can follow along on there. And to get you up to speed, God has been, you know, moving everything in the direction that he wants it to go. For years, he's been moving everything in the direction he wants it to go. He's been orchestrating his plan. He's been moving it in the direction that he wants it to go. And now the time has come. He's moved Mary and Joseph into Bethlehem due to a census. And they get there and it is time for Mary to deliver this child, and that is exactly what she does. And that brings us to the shepherds and their part of this story. And so it starts in verse 8, and it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were terrified. They're out here watching their flock at night, and this angel, the Lord, appears to them, and they do what everybody else does. It's common practice to be terrified when an angel appears before you. Uh, this is just how the story goes. And this angel appears before them. They're terrified. Who are the shepherds? They're our main character, kind of this, or they're our main character for this story. The main character, we all know who that is. But our main uh, people we're looking at are the shepherds. And so who are the shepherds? To understand why they are so important in the story, we have to understand who the shepherds were. And the shepherds were the lowest of the low. They're the lowest of the low. They were outcasts. They were not looked upon favorably. They were the lowest of the low. There's a thing called the Mishnah. And if you've never heard of the Mishnah, what it is, it's, it's Judaism's written down oral law. So it's the, their traditions, their oral law that have been spoken, written down onto paper. And in this Mishnah, they say a few things about the shepherds. So the first thing they say about the shepherds is that they're incompetent. They're incompetent. They're, they're horrible at what they do. They serve no purpose. They're not very important. They're just low. Matter of fact, the Mishnah also says this about them. It says that if a shepherd were to fall into a pit, you would need not feel obligated to rescue him. 
That's how much the Jews did not like shepherds. Imagine being hated that much by somebody that if you were to fall in a pit, people would be like, don't worry about him. Just let him die. He's good. That's how much they hated these, these shepherds. They were the lowest of the low. And I think the reason for that is because they did have a job that would make them ceremonially unclean. They were dealing with animals, and in the eyes of the Jews, you couldn't be clean doing this kind of a job. And not only were they unclean, but they were constantly watching their flocks, so they were never able to make it to religious ceremonies in Jerusalem. And even if they wanted to, because they were unclean, they wouldn't be allowed in. So it's a circle. They just keep, you know, they, they weren't allowed in to celebrate. They were seen as lowest of low, horrible people, and they were unclean. And so that's our, our main characters this morning, the shepherds, the lowest of the low. The lowest of the low. People hated them. And so we see that they are out that night watching over their flocks. Now this seems kind of weird because, you know, usually in the evening they would have their flock in uh, their pens. But if you think about it, all these people were coming in for the census, and uh, no room was to be had. You know, even look at Mary and Joseph. They could barely find any room, and so uh, they're out here watching their flocks. The thing is, December and January, nights in Palestine, it wouldn't have been cold enough to endanger the shepherds or the sheep, so what they were doing would be okay. It's just kind of not the normal thing that would happen. But they appear to the shepherds, the lowest of the low. It's such an interesting way to start the story. Why in the world would they appear to the lowest of the low? Why wouldn't they appear to the kings and the rulers? Why wouldn't they appear to people who were important? I don't know if you like symbolism, but I, I love symbolism. I love allegory, all of that stuff. And I think this story is filled with beautiful symbolism. So the, the, first way I, the first reason I think that is because they're shepherds, they're the lowest of the low, and yet the angels appear to them and they're getting ready to tell them this good news. Is it no surprise that the birth they're about to tell them about is the great shepherd? The lowest of the low is told about this birth that will be the great, the good, the shepherd, the good shepherd. John 10, 11 through 16 tells us this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Psalm 23, 1 and 2 tells us, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. And so, shepherds are told about the birth of the good shepherd. But more than this, there's another piece of, of beautiful symbolism here. It's said that the, the flock that they happen to be keeping their eyes on 
this evening were most likely sacrificial. They were watching over the sacrificial lambs. One day these lambs would get old enough that they would be taken to Jerusalem and they would be laid down on the altar as a sacrifice before God. And they're watching this flock. And how beautiful is it that these shepherds receive good news that someone is born tonight who is Savior and Lord and Messiah and he will also be referred to as the sacrificial lamb. Beautiful symbolism here. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. First John 2, 2 reminds us that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. And so... The shepherds, the lowest of the low, have this angel visit them and tells them this good news, which is just symbolic about who he would become. The verses continue, though, in verse 10, and it says this, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the good news that we have been talking about the last few weeks. Verse 10, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Here's the good news, that in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. The first people who hear about this proclamation, hear what happened in our, on this night, the Savior who is born, the first people who hear about this are the lowest of the low. God is such an amazing and awesome God. He tells the lowest of the low, hey, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and here is a sign for you. You're going to find them wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I love the angels in this story because they make sure everybody gets a symbol. You know, kind of like, hey, you get a symbol, you get a symbol, you get a symbol. No. Um, everybody gets a symbol. Zachariah was deaf, couldn't hear, couldn't speak. Mary would see Elizabeth pregnant. The shepherds, they give him the exact location. You don't have to go trying to figure out where he's at. I'll tell you exactly where he's at. This is how you're going to find them. You're going to find them wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You can't mistake it. This is the only instance of this situation. There's no, like, what if we run into other children laying in cloths in a manger? No, you don't have to worry about that. This is the only instance of this. And so, this is how you will know this is him. And in verse 13, something amazing happens. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about 
This was such an important moment in the history of the world that even the angels could not help but praise God for what has taken place. The angels couldn't help but worship God for what has taken place. And they sing out. These are warrior angels proclaiming not war, but peace and love. And they praise God. And they say this, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rest. And so what is this good news? In verse 10, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The good news that will cause great joy for all people is that today a Savior has been born to you and the Savior will bring peace. He will bring peace. And, and this is really actually very interesting because it, in all honesty, it was already peaceful. It was already peaceful in their world, in this uh, time in Israel where these people are. There was already peace. This was a time called the Pax Romana. And if you've never heard of this, it's, it simply means this, peace of Rome. Peace of Rome, Pax Romana, peace of Rome. And this Pax Romana refers to the tranquility and security that the Roman Empire brought into the Mediterranean world. And this Pax Romana lasted from the time of Caesar Augustus to uh, Caesar Marcus Aurelius. And within this time, it, it was during the life of Christ and the first generation of the church, the world was unified under Roman authority and enjoyed peace. Everything was under the, the thumb of Rome. And so because everything was under the thumb of Rome, you didn't have to worry about war. You didn't have to worry about you know, people coming after you because if you were part of Rome, you were protected. You were safe. You had peace. Nobody was going to come after you because nobody was stupid enough to go after Rome. Rome was dominant. They were the, the military power. They had everything. And so really, this is such a strange request to ask for peace, and to say, guess what, you're going to get peace. But I think the Stoic philosopher Epictetus once said it the most brilliantly. He said this, he said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. You see, they had all the peace in the world under the thumb of Rome. But you see, there is a peace that cannot be given by kings or emperors or rulers. There is a peace that cannot come from the militant and powerful. There is a peace that cannot come from any of these people. It is a peace that can only come from God, and that is inner peace. That is peace in your heart. No other rulers or leaders or authorities can give you the kind of peace that God can. And this peace was so different. They had outward peace, and yet what they were crying out for, what they were longing for, was inner peace. And maybe this morning you can relate. Maybe this morning you can relate. Maybe you are sitting here this morning and you are a beacon of outward peace. 
You have the smile on your face. You, you've put on a brave front. You looked in the mirror this morning and you said, guess what? I'm going to tell myself everything is okay. I'm going to tell myself everything is fine. And if I just keep believing that, if I keep telling myself that, if I keep seeing this facade, I will be all good and, and I will have peace. And you're here this morning and you've, you, you've got it all together on the outside and everything is great and grand, but on the inside, you are longing for peace. Maybe you can relate. This morning, you have outward peace, but on the inside, your marriage is on the rocks. Or maybe you have it all together on your face, but on the inside, you are watching someone you love struggle Maybe you are fine on the outside, but on the inside, you are reflecting on the, lo- or the last two years, and all you see are the people you know and you love who, are, who have lost loved ones, who have been battling with things that are just heartbreaking. And all you want is peace. Well, here's the good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, all people. And that is what this is. The good news is for all people. If you are here this morning and you are just needing peace, inner peace that nothing else can bring except for God, the good news is this. The good news is for all people, rich, poor, famous, unknown, degrees, no degrees. It doesn't matter who you are. The good news is for you this morning. The good news is for you. Just as it was for the shepherds who were the lowest of the low, the good news was for them. The good news is for you this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-6. through 6. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. God wants all people to be saved. All people. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter their past. All that matters is that God wants them saved as well. It's, all, it's for all people. The good news is for all people. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Guys, this is so important to think about and to know and to remember that this morning the good news is for you. The good news of God's eternal life, of eternal life with God, the good news of, of God sending His Son. It is good news for all of you. And I think if you need a good way to remember what it is He's done, then think about what He saved you from. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of us deserves God's grace. None of us deserves God's favor. We all deserve a life destined for hell. And yet, we have been saved from eternal death by God sending His Son. The good news is for you. And if this morning you are crying out for peace, there is a peace that only God can bring you 
this morning. Telling yourself it's going to be okay is not enough. You need this peace that comes from God. Stop trying to do it on your own and turn to God. Because He brings peace that nobody else can bring. The text continues, though, in verse 16. It says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. And so they get this good news and they go to tell or they go to make sure that, to see what has been told to them and they go and they spread the word concerning what it is that has been told them about this child. Something we don't often think about is, you know, these shepherds would be pretty horrible at their job if they just left their flock and left it all by themselves. So, you know, one of them had to draw the short end of the stick. You know, like, hey, we're all going to go see this, but one of us needs to stay here. Uh, we'll come back to you, though. But, you know, you know I, I think we forget about this. One uh, poor person has to stay behind and watch the whole flock while everyone else gets to go see the Lord and Savior. Uh, I bet he was okay, though. I bet he, you know, hey, at least you're, you went and saw him and you can tell me about him. But they go and they see him. But they don't just leave it at that. They don't just go and see it and say, hey, this was really cool, all right, let's go back to doing what we've been doing. No, they go and they start to tell people what had been told them by the angels and telling people uh, the good news about what they have just seen. This should be us, right? Like when we see something amazing, we should not hesitate to go and tell people what amazing thing we just saw. We already do this, if you think about it. When we see a movie we like, we go and tell everybody about it. When we go to a concert that we enjoyed, we tell everybody about it. When we went to a sporting event, we tell everybody about it. So why isn't that the same thing when we see how God works in our lives? Why aren't we so quick to tell people what God has done? This is what they do. They go straight to telling people what has taken place and what has happened. And the people are amazed at this. But then we see Mary is there treasuring up all of these things and pondering them in her heart. You see, I think Mary is still sitting here trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Her life has been, you know, flipped upside down and all these things are happening and people are bringing gifts and people are coming to her and she's just pondering all of this. Uh, give her credit. Like, I think any of us, if something like this happened in our lives, we would be like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? Like, all of this stuff is amazing. And she's thinking of these things and she's pondering these things that are happening. And so here's something that I think we need to remember about the shepherds. I think the shepherd's story reminds us that everyone has a part to play in the kingdom. Everyone has a part to play in the kingdom. Again, the shepherds, the lowest of the low, they were hated by the Jews, and yet they were the one that God revealed what has happened to. And, and they, they go and they see this, and then what do they do? They can't help but tell people what has happened. And this reminds us that everyone has a part to play 
in the kingdom. Every single one of us in this room this morning has a part to play in the kingdom of God. You have a task, you have a job, you have something you are supposed to do in this kingdom. You're necessary. Every one of you in this room is necessary to the work of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 tells us, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So just as every body part that you have is there for a reason, for a purpose, it's been placed there for a reason, the same thing is true within the body of Christ. We all have a part to play in the body. Romans 12, 4 through 8 tells us this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Every single one of us have gifts that God has given us to be a part of the kingdom. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. You have a part to play in the kingdom. You see, like we talked about earlier, we all have the same goal, and that is to make Jesus famous, to tell people what Jesus has done for us. That is our task, that is our mission, that is our purpose, to make Jesus known to everybody. And we all have ways of doing that. We do it by loving our neighbors. We do it by sharing the love of Christ with people around us. If you have a testimony and a story to share, then share it with the people around you. You know, some of you may be called to serve in different ways, and God may be directing you to somewhere specific. And while you're praying on that, be Jesus. Be Jesus. In whatever capacity you are in this morning, while you are trying to figure out for sure, what am I supposed to be doing Be Jesus. When you go to work, be Jesus. Be Jesus. Live like no one else is living so that when things are falling around in chaos in your jobs, when people are saying, I hate my boss, I hate what this person is doing, I can't stand them, and and all they're doing is gossiping and, and, and sharing all these things, be an example so that when they look at you, they say something is different about you. And make them wonder what it is. Be Jesus in your school, students. Be Jesus so that when classmates are struggling with the temptations around them, they'll look at you and say, man, there's something different about you. You don't subscribe to the same things that we do. Why is this? Be Jesus so that they know, man, there's something different about you. I want to know what it is. Maybe it's within your own families. Be Jesus. 
when you have siblings or loved ones who are quarreling, who are arguing, who are, are not getting along, and, and you're trying to figure out what in the world uh, is happening here, be Jesus so that when your family members see you're not doing the same things they are, they notice something different about you. Be Jesus. One of the things that we do here all the time, and I love it because it's important, we pray for our nation. But while we are praying for our nation and we are praying that God would, would move and, and stir the hearts of the people in this nation, be Jesus where you're at. Be Jesus where you're at, in your homes, in your schools, in your church, wherever you are, be Jesus. Because here's the deal. You might feel like you are a piece of a very big puzzle. Man, I'm just one small piece of the kingdom. I'm just a small little puzzle piece in this grand, amazing puzzle. I don't know about you, but if I look at a giant puzzle with a thousand pieces and there's one missing, it just looks unfinished. You may feel like you're just a small piece in a big puzzle, but without that missing piece, you can tell something is missing. Be Jesus where you're at, because everybody has a part to play in the kingdom. I love this story. It's one of my favorites. They're the outcasts. The shepherds are the outcasts. They're despised. They're incompetent. They're unclean. And yet, God sent His Son for them, just like He sent His Son for us. This Christmas season, this holiday season, this week, as we are so busy and everything is chaotic, we need to take time to stop and remember that the good news is for each and every one of us. The good news this morning is for all of us. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. The good news is for you. We can find this great joy in our lives by turning to the one who brings the ultimate joy, who brings peace that nobody else can bring, and that is Christ. But we should also find joy this morning in knowing that you have a part to play in the kingdom of God. You get to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. You, me, each of us, we each get to play a part in the story of, of what God is doing in this world. That should bring you joy. You should be ecstatic that God is using you to do amazing things and to share His love with other people. You should be ecstatic about this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, maybe this morning you are struggling, looking for some kind of peace. You are here this morning, and you are thinking, man, I want great joy, but I just don't feel it. I feel like everything I've done wrong just keeps me from having that experience of that great joy. I got good news, and that good news is that great joy is for all people. Jesus came to this earth to, you know, be a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb for us. And as we celebrate this holiday season, we can look forward ahead knowing what Christ would do for us, go into the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. 
this morning, if you have never experienced that great joy, I pray that you would do so. Don't let your past sins and your mistakes keep you from experiencing great joy. And maybe this morning you feel as though you haven't been doing much for the kingdom. Maybe this morning you're feeling like, man, I've got I've to I've do more for, for God and, and, and I've got to I got to love my neighbors and the people around me. And God is so good. He uses us to be a part of his kingdom work. We should be ecstatic and celebrate that this morning. And so this morning, I pray that if you have a decision to make, if you need to experience that great joy, that you would do so this morning as we stand and we sing.